European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 27, Focus Issue, Clinical Trials in Cardiovascular Medicine, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Clinical Trials in Interventional Cardiology, a Challenging Necessity. Since its introduction by Andreas Grutzig, Percutaneous Coronary Intervention, or PCI, made impressive progress with the refinement of balloons, monorail systems, guidewires, stents, and other devices. As a result, the therapeutic options and outcomes have improved considerably. Open questions remain, though, for instance, regarding management of complex bifurcation lesions. Should we pursue a provisional stent or two-stent technique? And if two stents are used, is T-stenting, calotte, or the crush technique better? This is addressed again in the multi-center randomized comparison of two-stent and provisional stenting techniques in patients with complex coronary bifurcation lesions, the Definition 2 trial, by Xiaoliang Chen and colleagues from the Nanqing Medical University in China. The authors randomized 653 patients with complex bifurcation lesions to either a systematic two-stent technique or provisional stenting. At the one-year follow-up, target lesion failure occurred in 11.4% and 6.1% in the provisional and two-stent groups respectively, largely driven by increased target vessel myocardial infarction and clinically driven target lesion revascularization in the provisional group. Cardiac death rate was comparable between groups. It would appear that for complex coronary bifurcation lesions, the systematic two-stent approach provides better clinical outcomes compared with provisional stenting. As outlined in the editorial by Franz Josef Neumann from the Universitats Herzzentrum Freiburg Bad Krotzingen in Germany, more studies are warranted to further characterize the patient profile and mechanisms contributing to the increased rate of target vessel myocardial infarction after provisional stenting. Peripheral percutaneous interventions are equally important but have their own characteristics. Drug-coated balloons for femoropopliteal interventions are commonly used and often coated with paclitaxel, the safety of which has been put into question but recently cleared by a huge real-world registry. However, the drug dose remains an issue and such drug-coated balloons have not been tested against each other. In their fast-track article, Compare, prospective randomized non-inferiority trials of high versus low-dose paclitaxel drug-coated balloons for femoropopliteal interventions, Dieck Scheinert and colleagues from the University of Leipzig Heart Center in Germany report a comparison of efficacy and safety of high-dose, trademark impact, versus low-dose, trademark ranger, drug-coated balloons with nominal paclitaxel densities of 3.5 micrograms per square millimeter versus 2 micrograms per square millimeter. In this prospective multicenter non-inferiority trial, 414 patients with symptomatic femoropopliteal lesions, Rutherford classification 2 to 4, were randomly assigned with either balloon after stratification for lesion length. Total occlusions were observed in over 40% and provisional stenting was performed in every fourth intervention. Primary patency was 81.5% in the high-dose and 83% in the low-dose drug-coated balloons group. Freedom from major adverse events was 92.6% with high-dose and 91% with low-dose drug-coated balloons. Overall death rate was low, 2%, and no major amputation occurred. 
Thus, the two drug-coated balloons with different coating characteristics exhibited comparable results with excellent effectiveness and safety through 12 months of femoropopliteal interventions, including a wide range of lesion lengths. These results are put into context in an editorial by Carlo Di Mario and Francesco Listro from the University Hospital of Careggi in Florence, Italy. Clinical trials in interventional cardiology are much more challenging than drug trials, particularly if compared to a drug treatment or placebo arm. The difference in the benefit of invasive cardiovascular interventions compared with placebo controls, however, has not been analysed systematically. For their meta-analysis, randomised trials of invasive cardiovascular interventions that include a placebo control, a systematic review and meta-analysis, Felix Mafud and colleagues from the Universitätsklinikum des Salanders in Homburg, Germany, searched through Mediline and Web of Science March 29, 2020, randomised placebo-controlled trials of catheter-based interventions and pacemaker-like devices were included. 30 trials, including 4,102 patients, were analysed. The overall risk of bias was judged to be low in only 43% of the trials. 10 trials, or 33%, demonstrated statistically significant superiority of invasive intervention over placebo for their predefined primary outcomes. In almost half of the 16 trials investigating continuous predefined primary outcomes, the standardised mean difference between the active and placebo procedure indicated a small N of 4 to moderate N of 3 treatment effect of active treatment over placebo. In contrast, one trial indicated a small treatment effect in favour of placebo. In the remaining trials, there was no relevant treatment effect of active treatment over placebo. In trials with a protocol-mandated stable and symmetrical use of co-interventions, the superiority of active procedures versus invasive placebo procedures was significantly larger as compared with trials with frequent or unbalanced changes in co-interventions. Thus, the incremental treatment effect of invasive cardiovascular intervention compared with placebo controls was small in most trials, a result that is further discussed in an editorial by Anthony de Maria and colleagues from the University of California in La Jolla, California, USA. The availability of large datasets from multiple sources, e.g. registries, biobanks, health records, claims and databases, implantable devices, wearable sensors and mobile apps, coupled with advances in computing and analytic technologies, have provided new opportunities in conducting innovative health research. This is discussed in a current opinion, Understanding the Use of Observational and Randomized Data in Cardiovascular Medicine, by Barbara Casade and colleagues from the John Ratcliffe Hospital in Oxford, United Kingdom. Improved digital access to health information has facilitated the conduct of efficient randomized controlled trials upon which clinical management decisions can be based, for instance, by permitting the identification of eligible patients for recruitment and or linkage for follow-up via their electronic health records. Given these advances in cardiovascular data science and the complexities they behold, it's important that health professionals have clarity on the appropriate use and the interpretation of observational so-called real-world and randomised data in cardiovascular medicine. The European Society of Cardiology has initiated the ATLAS programme to provide data on cardiovascular disease and cardiology practice in Europe. The latest product is the EAPCI Atlas of Interventional Cardiology that has been developed to map practice across ESC member countries. 
In the contribution entitled Mapping Interventional Cardiology in Europe, the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, or EAPCI, ATLAS project, Emmanuel Barbato and colleagues present the main findings of a 16-country survey in which they examine the national availability of interventional infrastructure resource and procedural volumes of PCI and structural interventions. 16 countries participated in the survey, providing a representative cross-section of the ESC national membership with data collected by the National Cardiac Society of each participating country. The annual mean of 4,954, medium 5,131, diagnostic cardiac catheterizations per million people were reported, ranging from less than 2,500 in Egypt and Romania to greater than 7,000 in Turkey and Germany. Procedure rates showed weak but significant correlation with gross national income per capita, but there was no correlation with national need as determined by the prevalence of ischemic heart disease. An annual mean of 2,247, or medium 2,478, PCI per million people were reported, ranging from less than 1,000 in Egypt and Romania to greater than 3,000 in Switzerland, Poland and Germany. Again, procedure rates showed weak but significant correlation with gross national income per capita, but no correlation with the prevalence of ischemic heart disease. An average of 73, medium 48, Transcatheter aortic valve implantations, or TAVI, per million inhabitants were performed, varying from less than 25 per million people in Egypt, Romania, Turkey and Poland, to greater than 100 per million people in Denmark, France, Switzerland and Germany. Procedure rates again correlated with gross national income per capita. Thus the EAPCI Atlas shows considerable international heterogeneity in interventional cardiology procedure rates. Surprisingly, the heterogeneity was not a response to national differences in the prevalence of CVD, but was driven more by national economic resource, a reflection, no doubt, of the technology costs of developing an interventional cardiology service. Finally, this issue also contains the ESC report, Implementing the New European Regulations on Medical Devices, Clinical Responsibilities for Evidence-Based Practice, a report from the Regulatory Affairs Committee of the European Society of Cardiology by Alan Fraser from Cardiff University in the United Kingdom and colleagues. The new European Union law governing the regulatory approval of medical devices will now take effect as of May 2021. Consequently, clinical evidence for any high-risk devices must be reported by the manufacturer in a summary of safety and clinical performance, or SSCP, that will be publicly available. This will facilitate evidence-based recommendations. Hospitals must record all device implantations and each high-risk device will be trackable by a unique device identification or UDI. EU expert panels will scrutinize clinical data submitted by manufacturers. They will advise manufacturers on the design of their clinical studies and recommend to regulators when new technical specifications or guidances are needed. Physicians should support post-market surveillance by reporting adverse events and by contributing to comprehensive medical device registries. A second law on in vivo diagnostic medical devices will take effect from 2022. All healthcare professionals should contribute proactively to these new systems in order to enhance the efficacy and safety of high-risk devices 
and to promote equitable access to effective innovations. This issue is complemented by various discussion forum contributions. A first one, accuracy of fractional flow reserve during acute myocardial infarction. Brahman Shah from the UT Memphis in Memphis, Tennessee, USA, comment on the recent publication entitled Fractional Flow Reserve in Clinical Practice From Wire-Based Invasive Measurement to Image-Based Computation from Shangjian Tu and colleagues from the Shanghai Jihao Tong University in Shanghai, China. Tu and colleagues respond in a separate comment. In a further contribution, Coronary Interventions in Austria, Germany and Switzerland, Anno Ulmer from the Innsbruck Medical University in Austria, on behalf of the Austrian National Cath Lab Registry, ANCALA, comments on the recent European Society of Cardiology, Cardiovascular Disease Statistics, 2019. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.